0: Um, and if we haven't met, I'd love to. I don't get to be here that often, but whenever I get to be here, I love it. I'm thankful to see so many faces I know and some that I don't know. Um, Jonathan Davis and I have been friends for five years now. He and I work together at Downtown Presbyterian Church. I'm still a pastor over there, and he left me a couple of years ago, and I'm you know glad about it and sad about it all at once. So we're going to look together this morning at First Peter. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, that's printed in your bulletin. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, And I'm going to read it. Before I do, I just want you to uh, think for a second this morning about the things that are weighing on your heart the most. If you had to list maybe a top three, what are the things that are bothering you the most, things that you're most worried about, most anxious about. Uh, What we're going to think through together this morning is what would it look like for us to take those things that we're most bothered and anxious about to Jesus and what would he do with those things? Does God care about those things? So let's look together, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's good word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need you all the time. We need you now, especially as we look at your word. Would you speak to us through it by your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably my fault. So, what do we get anxious about? Uh, You and I get anxious. We can get anxious about almost anything. I sometimes find it uh, amazing in my own life that I'll have a giant problem going on, something that I really want to be resolved, and then the second that big problem gets resolved, a thing that I wasn't even worried about becomes my biggest source of anxiety all of a sudden. It's like this big problem was creating a lot of noise, and then all of a sudden, uh, once it was gone, I just gave all my worry to that sort of next thing that was just waiting right there. But we get anxious about a lot of things. Uh, we get anxious about pain, experiencing pain, or people we love experiencing pain. We get anxious about our children, if you have children. We get anxious about our loved ones and their safety. We get anxious about money, whether we're going to have enough, whether we're making good decisions for the future. Uh, we get anxious about death. It could be our own death or the death of someone that we love. There's a lot to be anxious about. There's a lot to be anxious about. It's part of being a human is that we have a lot to be anxious about. Uh, When we bring our anxiety to, if we could put it this way, if we brought it to the Apostle Peter who's writing this, and we said, hey, I've got this problem. I get really anxious about certain things. This passage sort of does a classic little Jesus juke with that problem, and here's what I mean. Uh, If we say to Peter, hey, I'm anxious, and I'd like for you to tell me how I can take my anxiety away, we might expect him to say, okay, here's what you need to do. Three quick steps to managing your anxiety. Stop being so anxious. Uh, try to pour cold water on the fire of your anxiety. Uh, talk to somebody about your anxiety. Do something about your anxiety. But instead, Peter does this is sort of classically Jesus. He says, okay, it seems to you like anxiety is your biggest problem, but there's actually a problem underneath that problem. And he's going to say that pride is the problem underneath our anxiety. So in other words, if we said, okay, Peter, I've got this anxiety problem, he'd go, oh, you think that you need to deal with your anxiety, but actually, if you want help with your own anxiety, we actually have to talk about your pride. And the reason I say this is classic Jesus is because he's doing this all the time when he interacts with people. So there's this uh, scene early in Jesus' ministry where people can tell he's a rabbi, He's teaching in ways people have never heard anyone teach before and things like that. And this brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my brother won't share the inheritance with me. Tell him to share the inheritance with me. So this man says to Jesus, I've got this problem, and it is that my brother is being a jerk. My brother won't give me what belongs to me. Now, you might expect Jesus to go, hey, this is really simple. Just tell your brother to come here, and I'll just tell him on the authority of God divide the inheritance the way you're supposed to. And that guy would have loved for that to happen. The brother would have been mad, but the brother who asked Jesus would have been pretty pumped about it, I think. Instead, Jesus tells a parable about greed. And here's how he starts the parable. Be on the lookout for the desire for more. You see what Jesus just did? He's like, okay, Jesus, I've got this problem in my life. My brother won't share the inheritance with me. And Jesus, in effect, says, that's not your problem. The problem is not out there with your brother. The problem is in here with your desire for more. And it's very insightful of Jesus because you and I both know if that man got the half of the inheritance or part of the inheritance from his brother that he was supposed to get, he'd still have a greedy heart and he would still do whatever he wanted to do or needed to do to try to get more. So That's why Jesus says, hey, we're going to deal with the bigger issue here. So Peter says... If you've got things that you're anxious about, here's something you can do. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. One of the ways for us to think about this is that anxiety is always, always, always outward facing. Whenever we think about the things that we're anxious about, it's always that the problem is out there. It's things that we really wish would change in the world or in our families. And if we could just wiggle our nose and get the things that we wanted, then we wouldn't be anxious anymore. And in effect, God will say to us through this passage, it actually won't work. Even if you get everything that you want in life, if you've got a heart that's proud, if you've got a heart that really wants to be in control of the world, you'll still get anxious. Even about teeny tiny things, you'll still get anxious. Okay, so let's think uh, for a second about the diagnosis, if if the Apostle Peter is diagnosing us. Um... If he says your anxiety is pride you might say okay well uh, how does that work or what does that look like when i was probably nine years old or something like that we got a bass pro shop near where i grew up in atlanta and the bass pro shop had a rock wall in it and i'd never climbed a rock wall before and so my folks took me to this rock wall and i was a bit of a husky kid so rock climbing is not exactly what i was suited for as a child but i Uh, you know suited up with the harness which is a bit uncomfortable to be honest not fun for a nine year old to do but I got suited up and uh, the man who was belaying me walked me through what I needed to do and I had all the little instructions you know on belay, belay on, climbing, climb on all that fun stuff and so I started climbing the wall and it's really hard to climb a rock wall I don't know if you've ever done it but it's challenging especially if you're on the husky side so I'm climbing this wall and I get probably three quarters of the way up and I'm thinking this is amazing I might make it to the top But I can feel that uh, my arms are about to give out. And uh, I've also got sweaty palms because I'm working so hard. And eventually, I let go of the wall. And for just a brief moment, I thought I was going to plummet to my death. But I didn't move an inch. I stayed exactly where I was. Uh, And the guy from below, who was very strong, and was holding me by this rope, said, would you like me to take you to the top? I was like, well, yeah, sure. And so he just pulled me up to the top, and I got to ring the bell. And then he slowly let me down. See, I thought I was climbing the wall. I thought it was my strength that was going to get me to the top of the wall. All my strength did was wear out my forearms. And I was sore for a long time, way too long after that. See, when you and I are anxious about things, we're gripping onto life trying to control it, trying to change it. And we've got an awesome treatment plan from the Apostle Peter from this passage. If you're gripping onto life, if you're anxious about many things, if you're wearing yourself out with worry about the things in your life, there's an awesome treatment plan. So if our anxiety is pride, what's the treatment? Now, the treatment is not as simple as don't be anxious. And isn't that good news? Uh, there's an SNL skit from a few years ago with David Ortiz. It's pretend David Ortiz, but um, the baseball player for uh, Boston for a long time, but he's doing ad reads, basically, and if you know what David Ortiz is like, it might be slightly more funny to you, but anyway, David Ortiz is doing an ad read about depression, and he just says, do you struggle with depression? Don't. That's not very helpful, is it? In the same way, if I said, do you struggle with anxiety? Well, stop it. It doesn't help. Uh, Because the diagnosis underneath our anxiety is that we're proud, that we want to control our lives, uh, that we think we've got the best plan for how things should go in the world, the treatment is to humble yourself. Uh, And not just to humble ourselves in this general sense, but to humble ourselves in one particular way. And the one particular way is by casting our anxieties on God. That's what it's going to look like for us to humble ourselves. I hope that that's encouraging to you, that the Bible doesn't just say to you, hey, stop being so anxious, get your act together, but that it says, hey, if you want to stop being anxious, there's actually this other thing that you can do. It's sort of like, uh, I heard years ago that some linemen in the NFL will take ballet lessons because uh, it helps with their balance, but taking ballet, ballet lessons for a lineman is a lot easier than just saying to a lineman, don't fall over, just be more balanced. So they do this other thing, ballet, and it... Translates into their lives as football players. Uh, okay. To cast our anxieties on God, the, that word casting, it doesn't show up a lot. The only place I can really think of it showing up is in fishing. You cast a net. But the image of casting is like carefree throwing. So you take this thing that you have, like a net, and you just throw it. You try to spread it out as wide as you can. You try to throw it as far as you can. And so God says... I want you to take your anxieties and throw them at me. Throw them at me carefree. It's not archery. Don't make sure that your anxieties are going to the exact right place. Just aim your anxieties at God and throw them at me. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. We're going to get particular at the end, I promise, about what it might look like to throw your anxieties on God, but let's just uh, ask this question. Why should I throw my anxieties on God? See, because when you and I wake up in the morning, we, we tend to generally feel like, okay, I've got an idea of how today should go, and if it just went according to my plan, I wouldn't have anything to be anxious about. And God says, you're going to have to put down your perfect image of how today should go, because you're not in control of today. I'm in control of today. And so we might say, okay, why why should I trust you? Why should I throw my anxieties on you? Why shouldn't I stay in control? At least two reasons. First, we should throw our anxieties on God because of who He is. And second, because of how He cares. So let's think about who God is. Uh, If you're going to cast your anxieties on somebody, you better cast them on somebody who can help, not somebody who can't help. Uh, And here's what... Peter tells us about God. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So the one that we're supposed to cast our anxieties on has a mighty hand. Uh, it doesn't say, cast your anxieties on God who has a mighty voice. Now God does have a mighty voice and he could have said that, but why does he say hand instead of voice? If you've been deep down in the cave of anxiety before, you know that what you need down in that cave Is not a voice. You need a hand. You need a mighty hand. You need a mighty hand to come over to you and put itself on you and say, and say without words, I've got you. It's going to be okay. Uh, God's hands show up everywhere in the Psalms, especially. Um, and it's a way of of trying to help us to understand God in the ways that He cares for us. But here is a couple of examples. This is Psalm ninety-five. It says, "We are the sheep of His hand." We're the sheep of His hand. Uh, in the NIV old translation, it says, "We're the sheep under His care." Uh, see, we are not the sheep of His rod. We're the sheep of His hand. Now, God does have a rod, and He will use it, but what's His favorite way of leading us? His favorite way of guiding us is with His mighty hands. Hands that are strong and hands that care. Uh, psalm 139, that was, our confession was from Psalm 139 uh, this morning. The, uh, <clears throat> King David is thinking about how God's in control of his life, and here's the picture that he gives later in that psalm. He he's talking to God, and he says, God, you hem me in behind and before. So it's as though, this is sort of like matrix thinking. It's as though like uh, in the fabric of time and space, there's this little gap. That God opens up for King David. Like everything around him is just happening. And God's got this little tiny gap that he's opened up. And he has to open it up uh, in front of King David so that he can walk forward in his life. And then as King David walks right behind him, he's, he's hemming in King David. So he's just right here in this little snug part of the fabric of time and space. He says, God, you hem me in behind him before. Now it takes a lot of hands to hem somebody in. And then King David adds this. You hemmed me in behind him before, and your hand is upon me. So he's completely surrounded by God's hands. God's hands are controlling everything that happens, right behind him, right in front of him, and right in this moment. So we should cast our anxieties on God because he's got a mighty hand that's upon us. And second, we should cast our anxieties on God because he cares. Because he cares. Now, it doesn't say... Cast your anxieties on God because he said so. It's a favorite little phrase of parents to use. All parents somehow learn to use that phrase, because I said so. You just have to do this because I said so. God doesn't say that. You have to cast your anxieties on me, not because I said so, but because I care. I'm the right place to send your anxieties. I'm the right place to throw your anxieties, because I care. By the way, that's just a free one for parents. Next time your child says, why do I have to take out the trash or make my bed? You can say, because I care might be confusing to your kids. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't that why there's rules in your life, in your kids' lives? Because you care? It's not just because you say so. Okay. God caring for us does not mean that our lives will not entail any suffering or pain. Uh, I'd venture to say that all of us in this room know that. That if God cares... If we could tell God how to run our lives, how to make things go, we might have made some different decisions already, and that means the future is the same way. The fact that God cares does not mean that we're going to get the life that we dream up. It doesn't mean He's going to do the things that we want Him to do. Uh, First, Peter, the whole book is about how to know that while you're suffering, God is still good. How to know that while you're suffering, God still cares. And that's a challenge for us, because we want it to be math. God, if you cared for me, you would be doing the thing that I want you to do. But because you're not doing the thing that I want you to do, it must mean that you don't care for me. And the whole book of 1 Peter is saying, no, 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 no. God caring might not look like you want it to look. Um, All right, so... If we're going to suffer in this life, if there's going to be things in this life that we would say, hey, I really wish that wouldn't happen, then what's the good news about that suffering from this passage? A couple things. First, our suffering is temporary. Did you see in verse 10, it says, after you have suffered a little while, a little while, did you know that all of your suffering is temporary if you trust in Jesus? All of it. Uh, Even if you're 20 years old and you just got a chronic diagnosis and you might live to be 90, that suffering over the next 70 years of that chronic diagnosis is still temporary. It's got an expiration date. One day it's going away because of Jesus, because there's resurrection coming. Our suffering is temporary. All of our suffering is temporary in Jesus. Uh, If you have cancer and you trust in Jesus, you will not have cancer forever. Uh, if you feel embarrassed whenever you walk into a room, you will not feel that way forever. There is a room coming that you will walk into, and you will feel no embarrassment, no shame, no anxiety whatsoever. You might have to wait until the resurrection, but our suffering is temporary. So if we could put it this way, uh, one of the things that we're being told to do by throwing our anxieties on God is to zoom out from our little teeny tiny circumstances. To zoom out from those and go, okay, right now there are about 42 things that I want to change, but if we zoom out far enough, we look far enough into the future of our lives, because of Jesus, we can say, all 42 of those things will not bother me one day. They won't. I don't know when that day is going to be, but they're not going to bother me. Okay, so our suffering is temporary. Also, our suffering is meaningful. Now, if you ask me, Uh, Why does God allow suffering? Why is there suffering in anyone's life? I don't know. But I know He has a reason. Uh, He has to have a reason. And the reason that I know that God has to have a reason is because His Son, Jesus, suffered the most inexplicable suffering possible. There is no math to be done on the suffering of Jesus. He's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. He's the most loving human being who's ever existed. And yet, He suffered hugely at the end of His life. His suffering was full of meaning, full of meaning. We are gathered this morning around the suffering of Jesus that everyone looking at it might have said, "Well," and they did say this about Jesus, clearly he's not the son of God. If he was a child of God, he wouldn't be enduring what he's enduring. God doesn't care about him. And Jesus can say, oh, yeah, he cares about you. My suffering is full of meaning even though it doesn't look like it. Uh, This is the logic of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans when he says, hey, if God gave us His only Son, why would He withhold any good thing from us? If it's true that God looked at you and said, I would rather my only Son suffer than you suffer, I would like for you to experience my eternal glory, I'd like for you to experience a resurrection with no sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. And I'll let my son suffer in your place. It doesn't make sense that he would say, and I'm also going to be mean to you. Because he's been tremendously kind. Uh, Okay, our suffering is meaningful. Um, We cannot say to God, you are not allowed to make me suffer unless I know why. C.S. Lewis loved to uh, use the example of a dentist. And no offense to any dentist in the room, uh, but especially if you're a child and you go to the dentist, you might ask your parents, why is this going to hurt so much? And the parent can say with full confidence, because the dentist cares about you, and I care about you. That's why we're letting this happen. So I don't know God's reasons behind your suffering. I don't know why you're going to have that diagnosis in the future, experience that tragedy in the future. I don't know. But I know that it's not meaningless. If we look at Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we have to conclude our suffering has meaning. God knows what he's doing, and he has to care. Uh, In verse 9, the Apostle Peter talks about uh, our enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, that's pretty intense language. Do you know what it might look like for the enemy to devour you? For you to stop believing that God cares about you? That's all the enemy needs. For you to stop believing that God cares about you, you would be devoured by the enemy. He says, don't give in to that. Don't do it. All right, sometimes our lives will look like God doesn't care. So if we look at our circumstances and we determine, God, it really doesn't seem like you care. You'd be doing things differently. We, we can look in the mirror and go, okay, that's my pride. That's saying to God, I think I care better for me than you do. I'm better at taking care of me than you are. That's pride. All right, so if I, if I should turn my gaze from my life circumstances where I'm concluding that God doesn't care about me, Where do I turn? We turn to Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for us, and that's where we look. And what's the truth underneath Jesus dying on the cross? God, you care about me. You must. Uh, We'll close with this there's a scene in Mark chapter 4 where uh, Jesus and his disciples are on a boat, and a big storm comes. And there's waves crashing into the boat. And a lot of these guys, these disciples had been on boats before. They've got sailing experiences. So they know sort of how bad a storm can be and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> the waves are so bad, the disciples start to think to themselves that they're going to sink in the boat. And so you've got to imagine they're grabbing buckets, and uh, they're throwing water over the, the, you know, into the sea so that they don't sink. And they're, they're screaming and yelling. It's like that movie A Perfect Storm. It's just tragic and awful. And they're all freaking out, and they uh, at some point they look around at each other and they realize that there's one person missing from the scene. Is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is not there helping to throw water over the edge of the boat. He's asleep, it says. And so, I mean, you can imagine them saying to each other, "Is he seriously still asleep at this moment?" I mean, first off, how can he sleep when it's so loud, all this lightning and these waves and things like that? But also, what a jerk! And so they go over to where Jesus is sleeping, they wake him up, and here's the question they ask him. Don't you care? Don't you care? We're perishing. It says that Jesus gets up. He says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. sun comes out. It's perfectly calm. Uh, it says that after Jesus calmed the storm, they were very afraid. So they went from being afraid before Jesus calmed the storm, Jesus calms the storm, and now they're very afraid. you know why they're very afraid? They didn't know that he had power over the storms. And what it means is that he let that storm come. He knew what he was doing. I like to imagine two disciples after the resurrection, they're sort of trying to figure out what just happened. I mean, they see Jesus has died on a cross, they thought it was all over, and then he rose from the dead. And they've got this full picture of who Jesus really is. He's God, and he came to suffer in our place. And they're having to work through sort of all the things that they've seen and experienced as disciples of Jesus over the past few years. And so the one disciple says to the other, hey, you remember that day when we were on that boat? And he's like, yeah, there were a lot of days on boats, but which one? And he's like, with the really bad storm. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember that day. I remember how mad we were at Jesus? Yeah. You remember what we said to him about how he didn't care and what was he doing? And then you remember he just calmed it like that. We were always going to be okay, weren't we? I think so. And he was always going to die, wasn't he? And then maybe that disciple would say, Hey, if you could go back and relive that storm, what would you do differently? And the other disciple says, I would have put the bucket down a lot quicker and gone and woken him up. I think we were doing the wrong thing. I think I was trying really hard to save myself. Uh, If we could just imagine that bucket being our anxiety, trying to control the world, us trying to save ourselves to control our circumstances. And instead going, okay, I'm going to put the bucket down and I'm going to go throw myself on you, Jesus, because you care for me. There's good news for us. Jesus Christ cares for you. Amen. Let's pray. We'll be done. Our Father, how we thank you for this good news that we have. We thank you that you know what we're like. You know our frame. Uh, you know that we get anxious. And you know exactly why we get anxious. Would you draw us to yourself? Would you make us people who do turn from the things that we're afraid of to you? And I pray that we'd find the one who cares. And that when we see how much you care, we really would throw all of our anxieties on you. I pray that we would experience the peace of that even this week, that for an anxious heart in this room, we would be able to throw our anxieties on you and and experience peace Experience hope in you, the one who cares. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.